Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. Uh, joining me today, or I'm Jeremiah Shan. Joining me today is... Dave Clark. Susie Rance. Nico Moreno El Rolo with you guys today. Thank you. So yes, a new addition, not a, a new addition to this kind of round table format that we do. So Nico, thank you for, for joining us. And it's good to have Susie back. Dave actually hasn't been here for a while either. It's been a, it's like a, it's like a fresh, a real fresh look at the Sunder at Heart podcast. I like this. Uh, well, the, the most recent game that we have to talk about is the tie against Austin, which was yesterday. I think. On the balance, I would say the Sounders are probably satisfied with a point. I know that they said they were very disappointed with surrendering that lead. I don't doubt their truthfulness there. But if you you know, map this week out and you say you're going to survive a, uh, a very stern test in Leon, you're going to advance out of that one, you're going to take two days of rest and go to Austin – and you're going to get a tie there. I think Sounders probably take that. They they had a lead, though. They had a very good chance to make it 2-0. Uh, Austin ends up coming back, equalizing. But I think by the end of that game, Sounders were probably pretty relieved to get out of there with a point. Austin uh, put the Sounders under a ton of pressure over the last 25 minutes or so. And we may as well start there. Uh, I felt like I think the game changed a lot once the subs started coming in for me. The big one was Albert Rusnak coming out for AB Sissoko. Not necessarily that Sissoko was bad, but the formational change that came along with it. The Sounders went from a four, two, three, one to a, I don't, I guess we can call it a five, four, one. Is that probably the right way of calling that formation? But it just seemed like, like the line of confrontation changed. Suddenly they became much less aggressive defending and for probably those first 15 minutes after the change, the Sounders were really just like hanging on for dear life. Yeah, and that's been something that we've seen a couple other times this year that when they shift to the 3-5-2, and I know we'll probably get into this a little bit, but they, in this case, they dropped a central midfielder and that really limited their ability to control tempo and pace. That combined with the what seems to be this chronic uh, issue with the first couple minutes where defense yeah. assignments look a little shaky on a formation that everybody knows because uh they all use like it's not like there's a new defender right even jackson reagan you know ab sissoko those guys whether they were with defiance or, or sounders last year were still running a three-back set so they shouldn't be this unfamiliar and yet uh it's pretty apparent that there's some communication mishap when those happen 
Yeah, that was probably most apparent in the in the RSL game where right out of the break they they switched to a or I guess it wasn't right out of the break they switched, but after halftime they switched to a three back formation and they looked all out of sorts. But go ahead. I think one of you, Susie or Nico, you yeah. want to add on that? I just wanted to add on that I think it's a little bit of also not having the right pieces at the particular moment to play that uh, five-man back line, if you will. I think with Kellen, you got to take good with the basketball because it's not his natural position. It's not that he doesn't do it well, but that's not his trade. When you're talking about a guy like Jimmy Medranda, who is naturally of that position, who can uh, kind of read certain moments a little bit better. Um, and it's just more to his style of play. I think Helen does a really good job, and I think he gets hit very hard, uh, but he gives you a lot of effort. He does understand it, uh, but it's just not the same. And additionally to this, when you're playing against one of the better midfields in MLS, in my opinion, in terms of versatility, quality, uh, the, the way DeRussi plays the game, Alex Ring, uh, uh, Fagundes can be a real big problem. Uh, and you take a piece like Rusnak off where maybe he wasn't getting all the position in the planet, in the world, and, and wasn't uh, on the ball all the time, but his positioning on the field was creating certain responsibility for those players, and it enabled them to get forward. Once that was out of there, the pressure just came right on. And, and although there were lapses in the game, that the pressure was there even with Rustunk on, it became even easier once those pieces came off. So I think it's a little bit of that, that did change this game for the worst. Brian Messer, Brian Smetzer called it risky when I asked about it because it was something that I kind of noted down when it happened. And I think he knows by reading in between the lines because you always got to do that with Brian, right? And I think that the fact he said risky just meant that it probably didn't go quite as planned. I think, um, yeah, I think to that point, Obviously, unplanned losing Nuhu played a big part in it too, because it kind of forced you forced them to make subs that maybe they weren't planning to make, and that can always throw you off a little bit. I also have to say, like credit to Austin, their subs were super impactful, and I think they need to be called out. I don't think it was necessarily all we, all on the Sounders and their sub changes. I thought um, to Nico's point, Diego Fagundes like was such an impact maker when he subbed on and it just kind of changed the pace of the game. Even also Maxi Rudy, just the pace changed. Um, and I think the Sounders struggled to deal with that a little bit. Um, also like Austin seems like a pretty, um, loud and pretty like vibrant environment there. Yeah. Like seem like they have a real home field advantage. And when you have that energy, they just feed off that crowd. I will, I will say this, uh, the you know i'm watching the game on tv and i actually had i I was not going into this game feeling nervous about it necessarily and i found myself kind of like feeling the the nerves of that game in part because that crowd was very impressive and i don't remember feeling that way in the last trip when you know the famous teenager game uh and maybe i just excised it out of my memory but like this was I thought the atmosphere was really great. It was very reminiscent of Portland. Uh, it was, you know, just a constant din of chanting and uh, and volume. And they got, and especially after they sort of grabbed momentum uh, around the 65th minute or so, 
that was that was intense. Like I think it was a real test for the Sounders to uh, to not sort of fall apart there. I think a, another reminder, and I know some of this is because they played two really bad teams earlier in the year, but Austin might actually be good. Yeah, um, <laughs> they had scored ten goals in their first two home games. Um, again, they they faced like the bad teams from the bad conference. Um, to get going but you know we saw their midfield like they played that high pressure in the first half was exhausting enough and the Sounders kind of held their own with this really high tempo after playing what is it Leon's at 6,000 feet yep so um, and then the second half Austin didn't let up and it was like it was exhausting to watch that pace of play and I can't imagine like actually like I get tired watching soccer now. I don't play it anymore, but to, to have been on the field and have like no time on the ball, you have to move it fast. Those turnovers and they pounce on it. They're, they're a fun team to watch. And yeah. if they play like that throughout the year, they're, they're probably not going to hold on and be like a plus eight goal differential every four games kind of thing throughout the year, <laughs> but they'll be exciting. And they'll be more fun than the other two Texas teams. So, you know, that'll be great. Like it's good, you know, just for the league to see a a team that basically laid an egg in year one, kind of reinvent themselves so fast. Kind of reminds me a little bit of what like Minnesota did Um, in quality, not necessarily pace. Like Minnesota doesn't play like that. that. That's chaos ball. And it's, uh, it's really fun. I'd love, I'm, I, I want to watch an Austin game as a neutral coming up soon, just to see if I um, don't hold my breath constantly. <laughs> it's, it's Minnesota with better coaching. I mean, that's, yeah, that's yes. literally it. Wolf has done such a good job. Even last season, they didn't get the results, but the fundamentals, the basis and the concepts were there. You could see it in the way they play, the way they move the ball, the way they defend. It was never great because they didn't have these many pieces. And I think Uruti is a huge player. And that's a great point by Susie. I think that the substitutions came on at the perfect moment and he kind of laps over with New, who's you know, leaving the field and the changes that Seattle made. Uh, but Ruti just changes everything for them. They play, they push the Rusi a little bit higher. He makes Dominguez have so much more, um, less of an assignment and just focus on being a, a player that's going to stretch out your defense out left. Um, and Fagundes coming in as well. He just changed that back to what we've been seeing from them all season long. Because, uh, I mean, Finley was getting his first start of the season. Uh, did they say, same thing from for him. So those are uh, some of the things that kind of change up this game. But, yes, I'm with Dave. Austin is fun to watch. I think they're a very good team. There's still pieces that – I think are going to make them even better because Johan Valencia coming into this squad and uh, giving Pereira a, a different guy in that specific position. Oh man, they're going to be very, very fun to watch uh, throughout the whole uh, season. And the way they use their fullbacks is exciting. Both of them are very good. Um, I just, I just think this is a very good coach team with a lot of talent and, and they can be dangerous. I mean, they're in the West coast was in the West conference, which is just so talented, especially with Nashville coming in uh, onto the conference now, but, but, but they'll be fun to watch. Yeah. The, the difference from what we saw when they were in, when they visited Seattle 
around this time last year, I guess. Uh, and where they are now is pretty remarkable. Uh, the one constant was Cecilio Dominguez uh, diving all over the place. Uh, once again, <laughs> I, I, I did find some, some joy in the refs, like insistence on like, no, I am not, I'm not going for this uh, today or ever maybe. Uh, but he, you know, he's an, he's, he seems like a talented player. I don't know why he's so insistent on being uh, so, so easily uh, found. like at least, you know, like, like don't get me wrong, Nico and JP and uh, some other players are good about like finding that contact and selling it. But there's a whole nother level between like finding the contact and selling it. And then just like skipping this finding part and just trying to sell it. Uh, you, uh, I feel like, you just rewatched it. So I know there was a sounder that got called for like falling on the ball, expecting to get the call. And instead they just got called yes. for handling it instead. Yeah. I was like, um, Dominguez seems to try that at about every six or seven minutes though. Right. It, it's, it's not the Nico <laughs> move where he sells it and pulls the ball in, um, which both Freddie Montero and Jao Paulo do now, too. Right. Um, which I respect. <laughs> um, but I, I do laugh when the referees see that kind of move and they're like, uh, no, that's on you now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, think that's a very South American thing to do, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, that really is. And for as physical as uh, South American soccer could be, Coma Ball and Libertadores and, you know, XY League, you want to name, uh, there is a whole lot of flopping and, you know, Oscar winning performances all around. I mean, Neymar, it was a point where it was just annoying to watch him play. You know, he did so many great things. And then over here, he was acting like he was shot in the leg. And, it, you know, it just becomes annoying. I think Domingo is on that end where you know it's okay to sell it but now nobody's touched you and you've been down for eight minutes just get right up. right yeah i just thought it was funny because that was the thing that drove everyone crazy when he was in seattle last time and it was like no he hasn't really he hasn't done much to clean up his act as far as that goes but uh speaking of injuries uh we are going into a break here sounders have i guess 10 days off uh, Brian suggested that they were going to be like, he was expecting everyone to be back, uh, virtually everyone to be back. I don't know if that I suspect not literally everyone, but Nico, can you give us any insight into what, you know, as far as uh, the various injuries go? Yeah. I mean, as you know, Jeremiah, I'm always kind of one eye I have on the field at Starfire and then my other eyes everywhere else. You know, I go to the restroom, <laughs> I try to figure out where people are. And if, if there's something telling is that Yamar is nowhere to be seen. And, um, he hasn't even been jogging, walking on it. I mean, absolutely nothing. All the rehab has been done indoors. And, uh, that just tells me that, that this could be prolonged and considering the severity of the injury, or at least what we know so far and how, you know, Brian, he says certain things and has certain facial expressions where I try to, you know, try to pinpoint where it's going i have a feeling that that could be an issue uh the good news though is that we've heard from nico we know that he's much better he looks good that he didn't try for leon because of other things raul is on track i mean we see that amplification of his workouts uh, on the you know deep end of starfire field where we watch training same as jimmy medranda uh, i've heard that his timeline jimmy's is very close so i believe that in raul's case we probably will see him 
in a limited minute assignment in Minnesota, not starting maybe, you know, late or something like that. And Jimmy, he's somebody who I think they're going to ramp up here very quickly. So those are two big, important guys you're getting back, especially with this abductor thing with new, which you're hoping is not severe. We haven't heard anything about it, but abductors can be tricky as hamstrings can be. So we'll see how that ends up working out for the team. And I think that's that's is that everyone that's on the I guess the other one was uh, Alex Roldan today. It came out that he's not joining El Salvador. Uh, the translation is a little confusing for the Anglophiles uh, among us. They said he's it sounded he had a broken dedal. Uh, that couldn't be either finger or toe though. Is that right? Like it sounds like it's the same broken toe that he had. We already knew about. Does that sound right to you? Yes, yes. Uh, I think that they're referring to that chip on the foot that we've heard of um, that is mainly just pain. Uh, uh, You did see uh, Alex get stepped on there late in Austin, and he was feeling it. You could tell that 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 was really bugging him. So did it get worse? Are they just being precautious? I'm not really sure. But, yes, Dedo can mean either hand or uh, foot. Typically you say Dedo del pie or whatever but uh yeah it sounds like it's probably the exact same thing i believe you're looking into it i'm looking into it on my end haven't heard anything i always say no news is kind of good news i think that we would know if it's if it was something else uh but yeah it sounds to me if i'm if i'm to read between the lines uh ugo perez is probably saying look i realize that we're still alive but i don't need you flying down here just to make this worse potentially. So get yourself healthy. And, you know, we have bigger, we have bigger plans for you than this one window of, of games. And so hopefully that's what it is. Hopefully he's, he's fine for the Sounders. Uh, Kind of a bummer that he's not getting to participate in these world cup qualifiers, but I have to imagine that if you were to ask Alex a year ago, you get to play, you got to play in all these world cup. Like, I don't think he saw, playing in a bunch of World Cup qualifiers on his radar a year ago. But it's been pretty great uh, for him to go through this as it is. And hopefully he has a long career with uh, El Salvador at this point. Uh, But this also, this international window also provides us with a nice time to take a step back and sort of look at this season as a whole. And one thing I wanted to do for each one of you is pick out a player who you feel like we've learned a lot about uh, during these first eight games. Uh, four of them are in MLS, four of them in Champions League. And and just kind of, we can kind of riff off that. But why don't we start with you, Dave? Who's who's the player you want to you wanna focus on? I want to focus on Jackson Reagan, probably because he's the one that I saw a lot last year at Tacoma Defiance. I was really confident in his ability to head the ball and his bulk in, in defense. But what's really has impressed me is his ability to carry the ball forward. Uh, Every game he has played significant minutes in, you've seen a skill move of his on the dribble that just, he did not have that last year. He didn't have that at Michigan. He didn't have that in the Academy. He's like out there stunting, like he's a winger sometimes. And (laughs) that has been funny. Um, But to see him develop and uh, I was like, yeah, he's, a replacement level player with a great set piece persona that will be successful there. 
And instead, we're seeing somebody who doesn't look like a replacement level player. Uh, right, right now, he's probably on par with uh, Shane O'Neill. And Shane was a six-figure-a-year, you know, might be uh, the third center back up in Toronto. Um, and if you can replace that with kind of a fake homegrown player with <laughs> however those rights wound up working out, he's not really a homegrown player despite being homegrown. Um, that's a great move from, from the organization. And it's great to see, you know, there were nine guys that came up through defiance with, as their first pro contract of the 20 yesterday. And um, Jackson's might not be the best of them. Cause I mean, knew who is still out there and might not even be the second. Cause I think we're going to come to him later, but still he's an important player to, uh, to be able to add at essentially a minimum salary. I've also been very impressed by his passing. Uh, and it's not just that he doesn't make mistakes, which is oftentimes what you're asking your center backs not to do is just don't make mistakes, but he's identifying opportunities to break lines and he's doing it with both feet. And he, you know, especially yesterday, uh, Brian credited him with being able to was really instrumental in helping the Sounders get out of that early, uh, those early, that early pressing that Austin was so effective at doing is, is is uh, O'Neill or Reagan's ability to break lines, uh, which is not something O'Neill. That was not something that he specialized in. No. Uh, but yeah, uh, Susie, who's the, who's the person you wanted to focus on? Um, well, it's a player that I think we've seen. Uh, we had the least amount of access to, and maybe I've seen the most of this year, which is Obed <laughs> Vargas. Um, kind of unexpected to fans, maybe going into preseason that we would be seeing this much of him. And if the TV commentators didn't remind you, he's 16 years old. (laughs) (laughs) I like to tell you that over and over. Um, I think that his growth has just been really interesting to watch in real time. Um, I, I thought early in some of the earlier matches, his awareness of which spaces to run into to either create space or find space to be available for his teammates were some areas where he could grow on. And then we saw in the home game against Leon where he like his instinct was just absolutely spot on throughout the entire game. I think you see a lot more of the obvious things like his ability to win the ball, his control in tight spaces but we're seeing more of that like spatial awareness and development. And he's forming partnerships with Rusnak and Jao Paulo now. And um, I think that I have heard Brian Schmetzer talk about the fact that Obed Vargas is, um, is a really strong attacker and we should, and we might see more of that in the future. Like we haven't really seen him be super goal dangerous at this point, but I'm excited to see that area of his development and growth as well. And for him to be that calm in such a difficult position where you're already get always getting pressured on the ball is um, really impressive. Hey, you look at when he's played, like he starts the first game in Honduras. Uh, I think he became something, I think he was the youngest American to ever play in or start a game in, in champions league uh you know this this game against austin huge or very loud crowd and what impressed me in the austin game he drew five fouls which you go oh big he drew five fouls but those fouls were so important i thought to helping slow down the game and and allowing the sounders to regain control and then you speak you, you talk about his offensive ability he had two key passes uh the one i loved i, I think probably everyone who watched it loved 
is that play where that was going down the end line. It looked like the, the defender was sort of just trying to shield it out. He, tr- he manages to keep it in bounds, but it's not just that he keeps it in bounds. He picks his head up. He picks out Freddie Montero for a great chance. Um, it really, you know, very easily could have been the game winner there. Uh, and I just think that sort of maturity is, is very impressive. And it seems like every game, you don't necessarily see a linear progression of him getting overall better every game, but you see elements of his game ticking up and ticking up and ticking up. And I just think that's, that's so impressive for a 16 year old uh, for anyone really. Uh, and I think there's no doubt at this point that he, he deserves all this playing time that he's getting. Yeah, he, he definitely looks good. Uh, I love his poise on the ball, his ability to control it. There's one uh, play in Austin where there's just a ball that's a 50, 50 ball and he just brings it down with, such class and quality and then doesn't lose a beat and just directs purposely with the ball. It seems like most of his runs have, if not all have such a purpose. And um, that is not something you see from a 16 year old from Anchorage, <laughs> like you hear in every, in every broadcast, he's from Anchorage. Um, yeah. So uh, it's just, he's definitely fun to watch and you can see the potential. You can see um, how he's not afraid of the moment. He he just fits in perfectly. Now with that said, uh, if I had taken on a assignment on my own, it is to see what's going on with Danny Leva. And that's not the guy I'm going to talk about, but I do want to just kind of do a parenthesis here and just say that I, I do wish that Danny would get a little bit more playtime because I feel like Josh has gotten a shot at a lot of playtime. Obed has gotten a shot at playtime, but Danny hasn't gotten that. And I, I just would like to follow that up with Brian. He mentioned that, you know, Danny's a mentally strong kid. He's going to get some playtime with uh, defiance and, and all of this stuff. But I just want to see a little bit more of what Danny could do with some more playtime. Yeah, it, it would be interesting. And it's interesting to see how Brian manages these three young central midfielders that he has. I, I suspect Atencio maybe moved back a line uh, just in order to get him on the field a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's got a, he's got three teenage they're all teenagers still, right? Is Atencio still? Josh might be 20 now. Well, he's coming close on it, but it's funny. Three years ago with three seasons ago, Danny Leva was the hype 16 year old. And then last year, Josh Atencio started off as the hyped teenager, uh, central midfielder uh, making, you know, the, a mention in player of the week once in a while. And now it's Obed Vargas and you've got three who are, really close in age they're on that same level of growth curve there's just not going to be enough playing time for all three of them uh, at, at the first team level <laughs> how you manage that and how you keep them driven to keep performing when you know Atencio has gotten what 40 minutes this year due to injury Danny Leva's at I think four um Obed's uh playing himself into a starting role on a team that normally uses designated players in that position. So it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be tough personalities to manage because uh, Danny Leva was a USU 20 player um, six months ago. And now right. he's Obed Vargas is instead of Danny. So it'll be uh, heck Danny was the captain for one of those games six months ago. Um, so it's just, it's, it's complicated. I don't have, I don't envy Brian Schmetzer for that. 
but uh, I think it's a huge feather for Wade Weber, Henry Bruner, Gary Lewis, and, and that group that basically three years in a row, they produced a defensive midfielder that is um, more than, you know, performing at incredible levels. Uh, and I'll, I'll add that Atencio is in fact 20. He just turned 20 uh, this uh, couple months ago. Uh, so he's like 20 and 40, 49 days, according to football ref. I know uh, we probably want to move to Nico's player, but I do want to just follow up on his point about Leva too. I've been, um, it's been interesting. I feel like there's been moments where he's had like just such limited minutes in his sub appearances, but it felt like he, he brings something different, which um, like possession um, really, really good possession. And I feel like he often is looking to the wings. Um, Mm -hmm. He's often looking there. And I thought it was interesting against Austin that they um, both, they played kind of narrow on the back line at the start and played really high. And it seemed like, you know, thinking about a player who can, who can find those, those outlets is interesting. Just, he just brings a different dimension to whether you use him as a sub or he gets more starts in the future. I, I like that the Sounders have some variety in the kinds of players they can bring on. Yep. I think that's well said. Uh, That's perfectly put. And one of the reasons why I was a little bit uh, surprised that he wasn't in that starting lineup. Uh, You've already seen what Obe could provide. I thought that this kind of gave you a chance to see what him and Joao could do in the midfield. So yeah, well put. I actually thought that him and, and Vargas might start together. Uh, but I guess the Sounders decided that the that the physical load that the starter a few of their starters put on in Leon was not as high as they had expected, and so according to Brian, like the physios basically said, no, these guys are good to go. Uh, so yeah, I was surprised by that. I, I fully expected Danny to start against Austin, but Nico, who's the who's the player you wanted to focus on? I wanted to focus on Albert Rusnak and. Uh... For various reasons. One, you know, he's the, the, the new DP. He's the guy that was coming in with a lot of expectation. He's someone who I've questioned constantly, but who I think has done a good job. And the reason why I've made so many inquiries on him is because I still see that there could be more that he can provide and that he's still very in his head at times. Uh, sometimes it feels like he's not allowing his instinct as a player to just carry him and, uh, you know, compare him to a couple of, you know, tapes, watch that you, that you look at and videos that you see of how he played in real. So like you could tell he's just not quite there yet. Uh, there is a moment in this Austin game where uh, he's well-placed and positioned always. He finds those bubbles in between uh, the blocks that are crucial for his role, uh, but he gets possession. He turns around and he rushes to pass the ball to Bruin before Bruin could even get a chance to really get forward. I think if he gets a little, if he's a little bit more patient and he carries the ball a little bit longer and allows the play to develop they have a really good chance to to, to get a a good chance on goal but that doesn't happen because i do think there is a little bit of pressure he's done a good job at when he talks to us 
uh, avoiding that and, and acting like he doesn't really face him. But I think there's a little bit of pressure there because you could see it in his play. He had a couple of shots that, you know, somebody it didn't really quite go his way. Or uh, uh, I think Chu gets in front of one of his shots or something. But he, you could tell that he is very um, involved or tries to get involved in the game. Uh, and defensively, I don't think we give him enough credit of how much he, he works. Uh, he, he does win a lot of duels. I, I spoke to Freddie Montero before that Leon game at Leon, and he mentioned that you know they love what he provides. That he is a guy that does so much for the team that maybe some who don't know the game can't really see. And I, I thought it was interesting that a guy with his pedigree and his uh, experience with the team would go out of his way to kind of say, "Hey, I've heard." what's going on. I heard the narrative, but this is the reality. So uh, not just him, but, you know, I keep my ear to the ground and I talk to as many people as I can. And everybody talks about how much he works, the work ethic, the, the how, what he provides. So I wanted to put that out there because I do feel like he is uh, being uh, followed by RSL fans to, to just kind of slam him, right? Every chance they get. And then there's a, there's always a spectacle sounder fan about the, the move, who tries to get on him. And my questioning, me looking for answers from Freddie and from Brian, it's not because I don't think he's doing a good job. It's simply because I know he can provide you a little more. Yeah, I, I, I think... I think Rusnak has been pretty good. He's not been the player we expected. I think that maybe that's the problem is I think a lot of us had this idea that he was going to be, you know, a, a playmaker who was going to put up double digit goals and assists. Cause that's frankly what he was known for at RSL. But I think what we're seeing is a player that might be uh, someone more in the Darlington Nagby role, which is he's hard to get, he's hard to get off the ball. He's really good at completing uh, passes in the midfield and that he often is the guy making the pass before the pass, which sounds, you know, sometimes like excuse making, but I I've been really, I think the Sounders have looked better when he's on the field than not. And I think that's probably pretty telling, uh, you know, there's, and I, and I think if he can get that first goal, uh, I'm, when he gets that first goal, you know, we'll probably start to see a little bit more of what uh, Nico is talking about, which is maybe playing a little more loosely, uh, you know, expressing himself a little bit more. Uh, but what, what do you guys think of, of Albert? I think there's a couple, there's a couple of things that I've been thinking about. One is I think it was last year. Um, Megan Rapino might've mentioned when it, as it relates to the rain, that it can often be harder to integrate if you're like a world-class talent to integrate within a team because you already have just like such established style that you play. And like, it can actually be harder to bring together multiple, like really talented players versus like new fresh places, young players. Like it, um, that can be a lot more difficult. Um, I also, I think to your point, um, sometimes it just takes time. Um, and once you get that first goal, I was just thinking to not to keep comparing things to the rain, but, um, wrong with that. The, um, that Eugenie Lesamer, who had eight goals um, after coming to the team in June, um, didn't score for her uh, like until her seventh game of the season, and then she just exploded. And so sometimes it's just like you need that first chance. I feel like we saw that with Jordan Morris too in some of his early years. Sometimes you just need that like Clint one Dempsey. goal. Yeah, it, yeah. He played thirteen games for the Sounders before he scored his first goal. So hopefully it comes. I do think it's totally fair to put pressure. Not. Um, 
not aggressive pressure on Russ neck. I think that's fair for fans to expect more from him, but it does. It just takes time sometimes. I mean, it was part of why he was the RSL fans weren't excited about him halfway through last year is because he was a late starter even last year. So maybe he's just the late starter guy, which yeah. uh, Schmetzer would be plenty happy with. I, I remember him joking that he wants to end the season with a 13 game unbeaten run, not start it that way. So maybe that's just the way we have to deal with it. I, I don't want a second Jao Paulo. Uh, I don't need two number eights that are DPs. Um, I especially without uh, Raul Rui Diaz or Nico Ladero playing, I kind of feel like uh, there needs to be a scorer whose name isn't Jordan Morris on the field. So I was hoping that would be Albert Rusnak and I haven't seen yeah. it yet. Yeah, that's um, fair. I, I just, yes, Freddie Montero has been very good from the penalty spot. Um, but there just needs to be a little bit more in the attack right now. And I expected that to be Albert Rusnak. Uh, I expected the struggles to integration to happen when both Raul and Nico were on the field, because that's that whole, there's not enough of the ball for everybody to get a touch. And uh, I thought that he'd be the guy getting 80 to hundred touches. And we haven't really seen that yet. I no. think it's fair. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead, Susie. I was just going to say, I think it's fair to also point out that like RSL plays very different than the Sounders. RSL, when he was there, lots of transition, um, you know, you know, that was really where he thrived. And I feel like you saw that actually most vividly at the home game against Lyon, where you saw a little bit more of what Rusnak can create. And that felt like it was more of a harken back to his days at RSL. So, um, I, I just think that the comparisons can sometimes be hard when you see what he did at RSL and you expect the same, it's just a different team dynamic. And, and to you, both of you guys at this point, including uh, uh, Dave's, um, I think he will be that guy. I, I think that he puts himself in positions where he can be a goal scorer. He can be effective. But once you get that goal off your back, it can really just l- let them come, right? I mean, you saw with Jesus Ferreira just now with Dallas where one came and three came. But uh, I know that Grosnick is not a forward and that's not what we should be judging him on. I know that that's something that we expect from him uh, as the profile of player that you thought you were getting. But I think that if he wasn't putting himself in those positions, I'd be worried, but he really does. That There's a ball at the, at the end of the first half, there's a ball that I think Obed puts on him on the top of the box. And once again, I think he double guesses himself and he ends up placing it instead of just smashing it and just hitting it and it just doesn't go his way right and he, he gets the keeper and nothing much happens but I just think he puts himself in good positions to score and once that first one falls I think more will come you know I think that's probably uh, that's a good way of putting it good place to probably end this uh, I had I was I was going to throw out the discussion of Christian Roldan as a potential uh, sleeper MVP candidate but we can maybe he's going to be we can talk about that all year uh, cause I have a feeling that we're going to have plenty of opportunities to talk about that. So, uh, with all that said, uh, thanks to, uh, to Dave, Susie and Nico for, for doing this. And, uh, I'm Jeremiah O'Shan signing off today for the Sounder at Heart podcast, and we'll catch you next time.